Welcome to the South Edmonton Church of Christ Wednesday Bible study on the book of Hebrews. In this video, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 7 and seeing how Jesus is a better high priest. So let's begin by taking a look at uh, just the tail end of what we saw last week. The last chapter in Hebrews chapter 6 verses 19 and 20, it says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So this kind of sets the stage for what we're going to be looking at in this video and how Jesus is our high priest. Now, this is a theme that has already been introduced earlier in the chapter, and we've already kind of talked about that. And I, I brought that up and I said, we're going to be diving into more detail. Well, guess what? Here's the video that we're diving into more detail because in Hebrews 7, we find out a little bit more about this Melchizedek character, which if you're not too familiar with the book of Hebrews, you might be thinking, who is Melchizedek? So let's take a look at some of this background material uh, and then we'll dive into Hebrews chapter 7. So the background material of Melchizedek, who is he? That's a great question. He actually only appears in two passages in the Old Testament. The first one is in Genesis 14. Now, before we read this, basically just kind of the, the setting of, of this passage is that Abraham's nephew Lot has just been captured by some kings. Um, so Abraham responds with going and basically just attacking the kings and getting back what was rightfully his, you know, his family, obviously, uh, and those who were under his household. And in the midst of all of that, I mean, it's kind of quite an accomplishment that Abraham is actually able to uh, defeat these kings, but as he's kind of getting done with this this battle and this this great victory, we read about this in Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now you might be thinking, why are we only looking at three verses here? That's because literally this is all that has to do with Melchizedek. After this, you go on to something else. Before this, it was something else. So just kind of this king of Salem sort of appears out of nowhere, and then he just vanishes into the narrative of the Old Testament just as quickly as what he came into it. Um, for the most part, that's just kind of the story of Melchizedek. So I just wanted us to read this passage and be familiar that there isn't much to know about Melchizedek. There's a lot of different people who have all types of ideas of who Melchizedek is because he's kind of a strange character, a little bit of a mysterious character because he just, he enters the story, he leaves the story. We don't know much about him. We see he's a king. We see he's a priest. It's just interesting that we see uh, such a character here, which, you know, by the way, under the law of Moses, you could not be a king and a priest. However, Genesis 14, that comes before the law of Moses. That comes, you know, quite a few hundred years before Moses was uh, ever born. So all of this predates that. Um, but we do see this character who just kind of shows up, then he's gone. Except for one other passage. One other passage in Psalm 110. Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, see, here's, here's the interesting thing about that. 
um, this passage, Psalm 110, was written whenever there was a different priesthood in order. Um, it was the priesthood of, of uh, Levi. You know, anyone from the tribe of, of, of Levi were the ones who were eligible to be priests. And then, of course, you know, it gets even more specific as to, you know, all of those things. We're not going to dive into all of that, basically, because I don't think that it really adds to the study. Um, if you want to study that out and see who could be a priest, who couldn't be a priest, great. Look at, uh, you know, search those things out. Uh, maybe just do a word search for the term priest. And it's interesting the different times that it shows up. And you can you can look those things up if you want to. But Psalm 110 talks about being a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Well, that was something that just kind of, why is this passage here? And it's something that anybody who was a priest from the tribe of Levi, I mean, your priesthood ends whenever you die. You know, you can't continue to be a priest after you die. So how can somebody be a priest forever? And it's not even a Levite priest. It's a priest from Melchizedek. How does this happen? Well, the Hebrew writer tells us some information about that. So now let's see what, what he said. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. And this is right after that passage about how Jesus um, is, uh, he became high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Then chapter 7, verse 1. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi, who, became, uh, who become priests, to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they also are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descendant from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. So all of these things are kind of interesting arguments, and which, by the way, let's just remember, we're reading this. It's a book of Hebrews. Um, it was written about 2,000 years ago. Things were a little different then, and obviously it has the name Hebrews in it because it's to the people who are from, you know, those who were Hebrews. Um, we're not Hebrews today. So some of these things seem a little odd to us, but yet this logic and this argument that the Hebrew writer makes, it's very important. And he's really giving us a foundation for how Jesus can come onto the scene and you have this, this person who, okay, let's, let's give it you know, to ourselves. We know that Jesus is more than just a person. You know, he's God in the flesh. But you have this person who comes onto the scene, Jesus Christ, and he's the Messiah. Okay, so the Messiah has to come from the line of David. Okay, uh, David came from the line of Judah. But then this king that we accept as king, he's also our priest, but yet the priesthood comes from a different tribe, from the tribe of Levi. So how do you have one person who comes from both Levi and then also Judah? It just doesn't exactly make sense. However, in Jesus Christ, we see that he is our king, 
He is at the same time our priest. He's our savior. He's our friend. He has so many things to us. Uh, but this passage right here, he kind of explains um, to a, a Hebrew thought how one character could be these things. Um, Jesus Christ, he, he sets the, you know, the standard for all of these things. And we see that, uh, in a sense, there's a fulfillment of these passages in the Old Testament that we see coming to uh, its, its great uh, accomplishment in Jesus Christ. With this strange character of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek, the first few verses here of this chapter, uh, talks about you know what it means. Well, Melchizedek, he's the king of Salem, but he's also the priest of God Most High. Very interesting connection of how you can have uh, a king and a priest. Um, yet Jesus himself, he serves as an example. And to most of us who are Christians, we don't think someone who is a king and a priest is kind of strange because we recognize Jesus as such. This is because, at least in part, um, because the book of Hebrews exists. You know, we understand these things, how that can be true side by side. But to the original audience of Hebrews, this was something some of them were seriously trying to figure out and trying to wrap their, their brain around how this could be. Jesus, um, he kind of fit a little different categories than what they were expecting. So here with Melchizedek making some of these connections, uh, the name Melchizedek itself, it actually means king of righteousness. And we see the ultimate fulfillment of that in Jesus Christ. He most certainly is the king of righteousness. We also see that because he's called the king of Salem, the word Salem uh, is the same word for shalom. It means peace. So king of Salem is king of peace. So this Melchizedek character, he's, if you translate his name, he is the king of righteousness. If you see what he was the king of, he's the king of peace. So he's the king of peace and righteousness together. All of these things we see great uh, kind of accomplishment, great fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And, and he's like the next stage that really brings all these things to us today. We also see from verses four through 10, how Jesus is greater. In fact, actually the argument is kind of made that Melchizedek is greater. Now this argument doesn't always make sense to us because just because something is old doesn't necessarily mean it's greater. However, to the Jewish people, and actually to a lot of the ancient uh, uh, civilizations, if you could trace back, you know, your lineage or something like that and trace back how far, you know, you go, then in a sense, you have a little bit of ownership or whatever. And in this case, well, look, if, if Melchizedek can trace his lineage back or if he doesn't even have a lineage here, you know, it's just like he's been around forever. You know, he's as old as Methuselah. I know it's a different character, but the same type of thing applies. We, the, the ancient, uh, we recognize that the ancient civilizations uh, they thought that, oh, if you have a long uh, line, you know, a lasting line like this, uh, then it's it's greater. And here that's kind of what's argued. It is that Melchizedek, he came before Abraham. We also see that Abraham himself, I mean, he gave up uh, something to Melchizedek. It, it's interesting why he would do such a thing, but we definitely see that he did. And, and I believe that what we see of Abraham doing that is we see him being faithful to God. And since this is a priest, he is giving, uh, he's rightfully giving the things that he had been blessed with. He's giving those to God, uh, the, the rightful portion that should be set aside uh, to God and the work of God that's directly related to God. Um, those things can be a little confusing to us because, you know, aren't we supposed to offer up our whole lives as a, as a sacrifice to God? Yes, we are. Abraham knew that. Abraham did that. However, there still is something to be said about this tithing, this giving of a tenth. Um, and he was giving that tenth 
to directly relate to the the work of of uh, the the priests um, in that case, and that's really what it was largely used even in the priests from Levi. It was uh, their provisions so that they could carry on what they are doing. Um, in many ways, or at least a, there's a lot of similarities um, as to uh, how we have a setup here at, at South Edmonton, because you know uh, I do uh, receive um, payment for the tasks that I I carry out and everything. You know, it's kind of uh, an interesting um, thing how we do pay our our preachers and all, but that's because in order to continue on this work, uh, and you know, we we do uh, pay them so that the uh, those things can directly be be done, and that that is a gift to them to allow them to continue to you know live on and to be uh, among the rest of of uh, everybody else. In a very similar way, we kind of see something uh, like that with with preachers today. Um, it is that. Um, they are, they are paid for the duties that they carry out. And that's the same type of thing that we see here. Perhaps I'm getting a little bit more off, off base, but, uh, or, you know, off topic, but uh, it is all related into this, this payment here. Uh, and if you want to look into paying a tenth, then, you know, you can search these things out. Maybe look at a study Bible and, and follow some of those cross references that you might have. And, and uh, you can find some interesting things about what that tenth was supposed to be used for. Um, but here we de definitely see the argument that Abraham gave his tenth to Methuselah. Well, Levi wasn't even around yet. Levi was going to come from Abraham, but he hadn't come from him. That's kind of what it's talking about there in verse 10. So it can in all ways be argued um, that uh, Melchizedek is greater than Levi. He's greater than Abraham. And obviously we definitely see in a type of looking forward to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is better than Abraham. He's better than Levi. He's also better than Melchizedek, okay? And he's been around longer than all of them. So whatever arguments here that apply to Melchizedek apply doubly, so to speak, if you want to say that, say it that way. They apply doubly to Jesus Christ. Uh, so here's this argument that talks about the priesthood and how you could have these, how you can have a priest after the order of Melchizedek whenever there's another priesthood around. Well, here's the reason, you know, here's the basis. But there's also more. Let's keep looking. In Hebrews chapter 7, now let's continue on in verse 11. Now we see how this priesthood is better, and definitely our high priest is better. Verse 11, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said uh, belong to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, but the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. So here in these, in these verses, we see a better priesthood. We see a better hope that has been introduced in Jesus Christ. We see from verse 11 that the, um, the Levitical priesthood the one from Aaron, 
um, that priesthood, it could not have provided protection. Uh, I'm sorry, perfection. It could not have provided perfection. That's a little bit of a tongue twister there. And th that wasn't going to be. In fact, that really wasn't the entire purpose of it. You know, God knew what he was doing all along. and He was laying the foundation uh, for another priesthood was going to come and the priesthood that his son was going to usher in. We also see from this, uh, this passage here in verse 12 that as that priesthood was changed, you know, whenever things were changed from the Levitical priesthood to now the priesthood of Melchizedek, priesthood of Jesus Christ, we see that the law was also changed. Now, there was quite a few hundreds of years whenever the Levitical priesthood reigned and whenever it was supposed to do its thing and, and uh, serve the people. And it did, you know, for the most part. Um, but yet the priesthood did change. The law changed also. We're not under the law of Moses any longer. Uh, we're under the law of Jesus Christ, if you want to kind of look at it like that, even though the, the term law, it it's, means a little different now than what it meant then. And how all of this can be is because of the person of Melchizedek, but we see that Jesus, the reason that he is a priest, is not because he comes from uh, the tribe of Levi. In fact, he doesn't come from the tribe of Levi. In fact, really why he's a priest doesn't even have to do with the fact that he comes from the tribe of Judah. That's not really what it is either. What it has to do with is that his life was an indestructible life, as verse 16 talks about. So it's not some type of ancestry thing. You know, this, I know that we all love those genealogies that talk about so-and-so beget so-and-so beget so-and-so. You know, we love those passages. Uh, actually, Jewish people, they really do like those passages because those are important. And we, as you know, modern readers of that, we look at these and we see difficult names and we see uh, just kind of a lot of, a lot of difficulties connected with those ancestry lines. However, those ancestry lines are very important and they're very powerful. However, they're not as powerful. They're not as powerful as this indestructible life that Jesus Christ gives because whenever he was killed on the cross, he rose up from the dead. He is a priest forever. He stands before us in, in our place. He stands as our mediator before the Father forever because he's able to do that. His life cannot be taken from him and it will not be taken from him. The law itself did not make um, us perfect, but we see here in verse 19 that this better hope has been introduced. We can draw near to God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. This is good news. This is news we've got to be sharing with other people around us. And yes, I know that this is maybe a different way than how we might frame it, but I think that when we read the pages of the book of Hebrews, uh, it can help us to better understand what the pages of the Old Testament were leading up to. And this is one of the, of the things that we see, you know, just a few verses from the Old Testament get very rich, rich meaning about the priesthood of Jesus and a lot of parallels that we can learn and a lot of elaboration that we can learn about how great it is that Jesus is our high priest. But let's keep looking because there's just a little bit more in this chapter for us to see. Hebrews chapter 7, now in verse 20. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests with, without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath. When God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many uh, of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely 
those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our needs, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of his people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men and all their weaknesses, but the oath, which came after the law, appointed a son, the son, who has been made perfect forever. So even more about how great Jesus Christ is and how great this, this hope is, we also see another thing about this better high priest. This priest is better because um, there's been an oath that was involved. Whenever God swears things, you know, whenever he, um, like it says here that he swore, whenever he makes things on oath, we see that because of this oath, as in verse 22, Jesus became this guarantee of a better covenant. So we also have a better covenant in Jesus Christ. We see that there were many other priests before who lived and died and they carried out what they were supposed to do and rightfully so. But Jesus Christ, he lived and he still lives. He still as this permanent priesthood, like what verse 24 is stating. And because of this, that's why we see therefore. See, it's because he lives forever. Because it's a permanent priesthood, that's why he's able to save completely. I think that's so powerful. And maybe we, maybe we should even just kind of pause just for a few seconds and think about what that means that Jesus Christ is able to save us completely. You know, sometimes people have it in their minds that, you know, Maybe they're only going to be saved just by the skin of their teeth or, or so to speak like that. You know, I've, I've heard phrases like that be used. In Jesus Christ, that's not the hope that we have because that's not the God that we serve. Jesus Christ was and is able to save us completely because he's able to, to live. He gives us life. He's able to intercede for us. And he's not just able to do it, but he is willing to do it and he will do it. He's already proven that. When you look at verse 27, we see that he's already taken care of, of our sins. He's already done what he needed to do. He sacrificed for their sins. That's, that's our sin. He sacrificed him once for all whenever he offered up himself. So as far as the sin problem that we have in the world, you know, sometimes we refer to our sin as a sin problem. What are we going to do about that problem? Jesus Christ has already given us a solution. He simply asked that we follow him. And why shouldn't we? I mean, he sacrificed everything for us. And Jesus Christ himself, he offered in this better priesthood. He is our better high priest. And he asks us to be priests as well. He asks us to help spread this news. He asks us to follow him, to follow this new way in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ ushered in so much with him being a better high priest. He is the king of righteousness. He is the king of peace. He's better than Levi. He's better than Abraham. And perfection can actually come from him. We see a new law came. We also see that there's a better hope that came through Jesus Christ. We see that there's a better covenant. And we see also that he himself, as this last verse says, that he has been made perfect forever. And he stands forever in our place, on our side. That is great news. Why don't we tell somebody?
Why don't you actually do that? Make make an effort to within this next week tell somebody about how great it is that something that Jesus has done for us. You know, maybe something from from this chapter even, because there's so many things we can choose from about how great Jesus has blessed us and what He's done for us. But we need to be sharing this information with other people so that they can experience it too and be able to to know what it means to be a Christian, to experience this, to be able to. Like verse 25 says, that he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. He's able to do that. And he's willing. We just have to step up and come to him and follow him. Hopefully you do that. Hopefully you've already done that. And hopefully you will continue to do that every day of your life.